Everyone, welcome to this week in Mormons post-conference recap bonanza. We haven't bonanza here in a while on this show. Uh, for those of you who are longtime listeners, we've got a great panel of erudition waiting for you uh, to tell you all about conference, what you might have missed, and we'd love to hear from you. Obviously, we're streaming this live on Facebook, so if you have thoughts, please uh, give them to us while we are live streaming, and we can answer your questions, and we'll do our best to make it make sense to those, those of you listening to this uh, in a podcast form. Later on, once we publish that. So I'm Jeff Openshaw, the founder of TWIM. Happy to be here with you. And I will now introduce our wonderful panelists. And panelists, as I say your name, if you would please state your piece and, you know, say hi and things. So uh, running for Utah's third district for Congress. Some might call it a quixotic campaign. I would not. (laughs) Devin Thorpe is here, everybody. Hi, Devin. It is an honor to be here. And uh, I do not own a Don Quixote costume just for the record well tilting at windmills is one of the best you know aphorisms i think ever given us so thank you cervantes is how we say that name lovely to have you here devin uh half of the twin sisters has joined us uh it was going to be both of the twin sisters but the one of them decided she was too cool for it so we get the better one hi tiffany how you doing Hello. Super happy to be here tonight. Um, Ariane does send her regrets. She is suffering from a severe case of mom brain, having to homeschool her children or at least teach them online and completely forgot she double booked herself for tonight. So that's why she's not here. You knew him from Sunday School Bonanza, everybody. You've known him from TWIM as well. Dustin Homer. My fellow DCer, one of the true believers who has not left DC, <coughs> is here. Hi, Dustin. How are you doing? Hey, you're doing great. Thanks for having me. Nice to nice, have you, buddy. Nice to meet you all and be in your esteemed company. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of leaving the DC area, of course, he was just here last week. You know him. You love him. He's not drinking any Reed's Dairy right now. Jared Gillens. This water for me tonight. I've had enough uh, conference cookies to uh, count my, you know, for my calories, my, my, my carbs that today. And I and I and I'm I, I'm not officially in this role, but I'd like to say for the record that I will happily be the Southeast Idaho Sancho Panza to Devin's Don Quixote. <laughs> Thank you, Jared. This Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Jared. And joining us all the way from Singapore, she found a quiet closet somewhere. Josie Cleve yes. is here. Literally in Harry Potter's closet under the stairs. That's where I'm at right now. Well, you're a wizard, so that's good. As a total side note, did anybody see Harry Potter with guns? That YouTube video they got pulled down after a day because Warner no. Brothers pulled it. It was, it was hilarious. It was the funniest so thing good. I've seen in months. No, look, we went with Harry Potter's closet because technically, like Singapore, a lot of apartments have what are called bomb shelters, and I thought that that was a little bit worse sounding. Do, so, do Singaporeans live in fear of air raids? Is this a problem down there? No, no, it is okay. not. It is mostly just the second storage room, which is why I'm. Well, I've pushed everything to the side so that nobody can see all the stuff. But yes, I'm essentially sitting in my storage room. But yes, if there were a bomb by any chance, I would not be sitting in my closet on the 11th story. So I'd be running down the stairs. Okay, then. Excellent. Well, folks, uh, I hope conference was good for all of you. I thought this was a great conference. After last time, last time was excellent as well. But last time definitely, to me at least, spoke to a conference where they had to, it was a little more hasty to put it together because they only announced that they were going to... After last time... Uh oh! Sorry, that was that was me. That was my bad. (laughs) Tiffany, 
my goodness. All right. So anyway, um, you know, last time around, it was only what, two weeks from the fact when they said, okay, conference isn't happening in the tabernacle. We're going to figure something out. So they, they threw it together. You could tell some remarks changed. And of course it was sad because it was supposed to be this big conference where we celebrated the bicentennial of the first vision. And there were elements of that, but it felt like a conference from a lot of different parts. This time around, however, um, they had more time to plan. And I think especially in terms of the pandemic, we saw a lot of that. Because I remember six months ago, many people said, I wanted more like counsel about the pandemic. I think there was just, the time wasn't there. The planning wasn't there. But this time around, we had a lot of that. We had a lot of head-on addresses speaking to the moment, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's been race relations, which we've talked about a lot on the show here uh, for the past few months. And I was well-fed. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was one of the most sort of on point weekends I can remember in terms of conference content. How'd you guys feel? I loved it. Loved it. You know, one of the things I loved most, and I apologize for jumping in, Jeff, but one of the things I loved most was the way they had the, the room set up so that you could see that the brethren were all wearing face masks and they were genuinely socially distanced very well. And we don't see that, uh, at, press conferences, for the media, and for government officials. We, you know, we see people anyway. So I thought they were really setting a great example for us on how to behave. I felt the same way. It seemed ob- like, especially because of how distanced they were, I think in theory, they, 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 I'm assuming they're getting COVID tests on the regular, you would, you would guess. So I imagine they could have safely sat there even without masks. So I took that to be a, a nice message to all of us to just do our well, and especially since you know there a lot of people do this thing and I, and I know there's like pe- different people call it different things but you know there's, there's this concept of bubbling right where you feel like you don't have to do as much of the social distancing and mask wearing if you kind of because people create their little bubble and they know we're not yeah. interacting with people outside our bubble so we're safe together and i'm assuming i mean this is just an assumption but i would assume that a cohesive tight-knit group like the quorum of the 12 and the first presidency they're probably bubbling together and so again they probably didn't absolutely need to socially distance and wear masks but they were right. showing us leading by example really uh showing us that you know this is the right thing to do this is how we exercise caution and take care of each other yeah and they didn't say anything about it they never once made mention of it they just did it and that was that so i'm so I know wondering we, if there were oh sorry jared no uh, i was just gonna ask if i i wondered if there were some themes that people felt like came out like loud and clear to them Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, go ahead, Devin. If you well, I was just going to say, the th- one of the things that struck me is reviewing President Nelson's talk uh, to begin the conference. Uh, it is a great recap, a great, in effect, precap of the whole conference. I thought that was interesting, but he talked about uh, the pandemic and suffering, and that came up a lot. He talked about the challenging political times that came up a lot in conference. He talked, he alluded to uh, race tensions, and that came up a lot. It was really an interesting precap for the conference. It was, it was great, and of course, those themes did come up a lot. It was nice to have the brethren say, you know, it's going to be okay. That was really nice to hear over and over again. And it was really nice to hear the brethren lean in on it. Let's not be racists. Uh, and and uh, Elder Oaks, I thought he had some great points on politics, uh, especially. So I thought it was good conference. A funny thing, when you mentioned it's going to be okay, one thing I realized, though, there was, there was so much uplifting content. 
I don't feel like I got the impression that anybody was sa- ever said, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's going to be okay. Like, this is going to be okay soon. I got more the yeah. impression of you're going to be strong. We can get through this, but no one seemed to be hinting that we're out of the woods. Anytime. No, in fact, I would say the opposite was, was said. Yeah. You know, it seemed like several of the speakers were kind of, it were, were, were touching on that theme that we often talk about in the church of enduring to the end and that, you know, this is a long haul process. Um, I especially thought, you know, Elder Eyring had that kind of, I felt that was implicit in his message that, you know, it's, it's, we're, we're all here to be tested. We're all here to be proven and we're in the test. And, you know, it's not like, and soon we'll all pass and it'll be done. Like it was, I, the, yeah, the impression I got was like, keep enduring and not, but not just like a bleak, like, oh, we're in here for the long haul. It's going to be hard forever, but also like endure because we can endure because of Christ and because of the gospel and because of the blessings and the revelations and all the things that we have at our disposal. Um, so, yeah. So, no, I didn't. I also think, yeah, there's no, there was nothing that's indicated. Oh, yeah, we're almost through it. Keep hang on there, guys. It was like, we're, we don't know when we're going to be through it. So hang on there and let's keep helping each other and leaning on the Lord. Yeah. Jared, since you and I talked a bit about predictions on last week's episode, um, how, how did you feel in terms of predictions oh. and, also, and also hopes? You talked a lot about your hopes. For right, me. exactly. I mean, yeah, cause I was thinking about this throughout, throughout conference, you know, that we, we had talked about, you know, let's talk about predictions. And mostly we, it was less predictions and more wish list. And I kept on like listening to these talks and thinking, man, they, they listened to our episode because they're ticking off all the boxes on my wish list. And the, the two main things on my wish list were, I need, I need a message of hope. We all need a message of hope about the current situation we're in and um, how to endure well and how to get through this. And I felt like, you know, Devin already mentioned that was throughout. And the other thing that I had on my wish list was let's have a, a very like upfront, unmistakable condemnation of white supremacy and white nationalism. And while those terms I don't think were ever used specifically, uh, there were very specific, was very specific language that all you know, God does not favor any races, you know, and I loved that President Nelson in that talk, I think it was in the morning uh, today, said, you know, he he, st- he prefaces that statement with everybody listen to what I'm about to say, you know, and I loved it. Every- I-, I hope that everybody perked up and said, okay, he's about to say something important. And then he laid it down. And I was just like, I was just really grateful um, because as you all know, this is an issue that we're dealing with. And I, and I, and it's not just an issue in our country and in the world at large, although obviously it is, but it's an issue within the church. And I can't tell you how many times that I've felt so discouraged to see people on Twitter, on Mormon Twitter, uh, or in other places express ideas that to me are just so directly contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ regarding race relations and whether or not God favors one race over another, specifically white people. Um, so to hear our, the prophet, the we believe is a living oracle mouthpiece for God uh, to, to specifically condemn that idea. That was very meaningful to me. And I hope, I hope that it reached all the people that need to hear it, including myself. Yeah. Jared, I want to add to that thought, if I may, and I hope I, I'm not overstepping, but, but President Nelson said something that I think is critically important because there is a tendency for us to say, um, you know, in the church, we, we have a little bit of a tendency to say, of course, all lives matter, right? That's our response. Yes, we're all the same. We're all equal. And that tends to deny, in in effect, that we have racist tendencies. And I, and I want to acknowledge my own, right? Let me hasten to add, right? I, 
I remember meeting my first African-American when I was five or six years old. Uh, think about that, to have lived five or six years without ever meeting an African-American. Uh, but that's the nature of growing up in Utah, right? That, uh, and so to think that I grew up without any prejudice uh, would be absurd, right? Without having had a good experience and exposure. And so, you know, we, we need to recognize it. But what he, President Nelson said was very specific. I grieve that our black brothers and sisters the world over are enduring the pains of racism and prejudice. He, he made it clear that no, uh, you know, th there is an issue here. There's a very specific problem and we need to address that issue, that specific problem. I thought that was really good. Like, this is nice to hear because I haven't been able to see any of the Sunday sessions yet because that was the middle of the night and the wee morning for me. Um, so I feel like I have still a lot to catch up on. So, and and I don't think that there were parts of Saturday that um, made that as loud and clear, which I'm sure we'll get into. But um, Jeff, is it too early to ask what the temples were? Because I have no, reserved no my looking things up ahead because I wanted to hear it from you wow i'm i'm touched josie i'm touched come on do that. um sure so so <laughs> temples were fun we had uh, officially we got three out of six you know, president nelson announced six temples uh but one of them is one that we've also predicted previously so you can give that one to us or not so we have temples going up everybody in tarawa tarawa i'm gonna say that about as a white american guy as i can uh in uh Kitabis which President Nelson pronounced correctly. And I'll never forget when, Devin, you were on the show earlier this spring and we talked about the proper pronunciation of Kiribati. Uh, Kiribati is how it's written out if you've ever seen it written. So Temple there, we've talked about that one for a while. Um, then one in Port Vila, Vanuatu, which we hadn't given much thought to. Uh, then a second temple in Greater Guatemala City, Guatemala. That's one that uh, Joe Peterson had talked about in our previous prediction six months ago, maybe a year ago. So that's interesting. And another one that we had listed um, was a second temple in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And that one was interesting to me because that was all Joe in our predictions this time around. I, I didn't think about that at all, but he was looking at some numbers and thought, and he's very big on the second temple in a city thing that we've seen in the past couple of years. So uh, Sao Paulo is going to get a second temple, which is great. They're going to call it Sao Paulo East. We'll see where that goes. Uh, a temple in Santa Cruz, Bolivia is another one we called for. So that, that will be the second temple in Bolivia. Great for them. They haven't had a lot of South American countries you know, throughout the 80s sort of got their first temple. It was pretty common. You'd see a lot of these countries had one temple typically in the capital city. And then they all started getting a second temple or, you know, in the past 10 years or so, a second or even a third. But Bolivia has kind of been hanging there for a while without its second. We joked in the predictions it's because the church was waiting until Evo Morales was deposed in order to bless the saints with the temple. But I don't think it's actually that. But they're going to get a second temple in Bolivia, which is great. And the last temple, everyone, one that I never could have predicted. Uh, at least as far Singapore? as where it's going. No, Linden, Utah. Oh. Good old Linden. <laughs> the hotbed of civilization. Linden. <laughs> I, this is not to knock Linden. I just, Linden's, in my mind, is very much this skinny little between city. Like if you're traveling between Provo and Pleasant Grove or something, you go through Orem, Orem is Orem. You know, there's stuff going on. And then Linden's just this little bit. And then you move on to the great Pleasant Grove American Fork Wilderness. But I guess Linden itself is going to get a temple. I'm not, I have no idea where that would be. I mean, I know there's been a lot of growth in terms of people moving into Vineyard, which is close to Linden. But yeah. uh, 
So Linden gets a temple. I was hoping for Spanish Fark, but it's going to be Linden. So Okay, I have a quick question. When you're yeah. talking about numbers, is, is this really a numbers game? Like, what are the numbers to then justify getting a temple? Like, how is this well, little sliver of Utah getting I'm, a temple? I'm glad you asked. Speaking as a prophet, seer, and revelator, Josie, let me tell, tell you. Tell me. I need these no. answers. <laughs> uh, a little bit of sacrilege there. I don't know what the numbers are. I mean, obviously numbers factor into temple announcements. Of course, Revelation's the biggest part of it, but we study things out, right? I mean, I've never I've never been in the meetings where they decide any of these things, of course. Yes, but, but you are temple predicting, so you're guessing we're trying, something. So we temple predict with as much information as we possibly have. And usually it's just a matter of number of stakes. Number of stakes. Um, a number of stakes usually indicates number of active tithe payers because that sort of happens before you can have a stake. Uh, and also number of Melchizedek priesthood holders and lots of other numbers factor in like trying to forecast how many temple workers you would, how many people you'd have to staff the temple basically, you know, and I don't know if they get all the way into the weeds of demographics like age or anything like that, or if it's just a matter of we have X number of Melchizedek priesthood holders, whether they know if they're classified as active or not, I have no idea, but you look at a lot of those numbers and then of course they study things out and decide, uh, what's best. So Linden's an interesting choice to me, especially with the temple going up in Orem, which is literally the city next door. So if we're going to make Utah County like the right way, that means we'll have two temples in Provo, a temple in Orem, a temple in Linden. I believe Mount Tippinogos is actually an American fork, not Mm -hmm. in Pleasant Grove, right? So, so Pleasant Grove. It's right on the the line. So I think think it's technically AFA. AFA. Yeah. Yeah, So Pleasant Grove, Cedar Hills, what Highland and Alpine and Lehigh. We're going to need temples, people. What about Eagle Mountain? Why, why, why I mean, Mountain? you could give Eagle Mountain blessings, but is it time for that, really, Jared? <laughs> where my mom lives. <laughs> so maybe, but they're getting the Saratoga Springs Temple, so let That's it breathe a little That's while. True. We'll see what That's happens. True. You know, so I think the good. important thing is to keep track of the number of temples in Utah's third congressional district, and they're really starting <laughs> to stack up. I they really that, are. Are you stumping? Must right be now? the true district. I guess Devin, That's Devin is that all is. about the earned media. He milks this for all it's worth. <laughs> Does everything you can. Yeah, so it was good Good stuff hearing about temples. And that was the main big announcement. I mean, this was not a conference where we had any big structural changes, organizational changes, anything like that. I didn't really expect that. Um, so we heard about the temples, and then we received a lot of excellent counsel. So I'm so excited you didn't know the surprise, Josie. Everyone waited around. We were all pumped. You know you know what's coming, right? When And you had to land with... The Utah Temple, but that's I wanted right. to finish. The Utah okay. Temple was not the last one he announced. I really wish he oh. would have done it with the same impact as Shanghai, right? But uh, <sighs> that was so cool. But we don't okay. talk about Shanghai. Incidentally, did you know the Shanghai Temple is not listed on the church's list of temples on the church's website, whether constructed or to be constructed? Interesting. Not too surprising. It's yeah. not even there. That's interesting to me. But I did some way back machining and it wasn't there like even in April. So I don't know when, if it was ever put up or removed. Anywho, enough of me. Um, who wants to bounce around? Any favorite talks you want to jump into or do you want to go in chronological order? Well, one thing, one thing on the temple front, Jeff, yeah. it's kind of interesting is like we had some, some emphases of, hey, like you don't have to go to the temple to be thinking about your blessings. And by the way, your recommend really matters whether or not like whether or not you can go to the temple right like now. over rasband's whole talk exactly you know? yeah. was was like was was powerful but also like really relevant right like lots of like lots of folks is recommend lapsing right now right i mean it's like you can't go to the temple you don't think about it like it's not a present thing so i thought that was an important call to action uh especially from other rasband as you said but even the prophet today in his talks yeah. you know referenced that idea of listen like you know this matters think about your blessings think about your recommend like this is a big deal and like you taking advantage of the blessings of the temple is not necessarily contingent on you being able to go right now. 
And uh, I think that's a really important message and like kind of a novel one, right? Like, like that has never had to be talked about before. But is the situation for a lot of people, as you and Joe and others often, you know, account for when you're making the predictions? I mean, a lot of people, that's their living reality. For the rest of us, we get to realize like what it's like when you can't easily access the temple um, and like how we need to think differently about our worship in that situation. And that's been counsel for a long time. And was it, was it President Hinckley or before that when they talked a lot about just, you know, they've talked for years about having an active recommend. You know, well, I remember President say? Hunter in his brief time as president yeah. of the church, he, he talked a lot about, well, you know, again, a lot relatively um, about the temple being the great symbol of our membership. And part of that um, was him encouraging every, every member who can to have a current temple recommend. Yeah. Whether you could go or not, and especially think of it back then. I mean, we've seen a lot of temples announced in Africa in particular and in the developing world and in Southeast Asia and other places. And going to the temple was a huge hassle. I mean, look at, look at Southeast Asia and Josie's neck of the woods. Yeah. They're getting some more temples in the next couple of years. But before who was that, it? Somebody was, mentioned. Um, it was going it, to Hong Kong. That was yeah. It. When you were talking about how big a hassle, one of the, one of the speakers today mentioned just briefly in passing the temple patron fund and i thought that was interesting because we don't that's not something we talk about a lot but that you can donate to a fund that will help people who live remotely from a temple to get to there and i love that the church does it. i had completely forgotten that that was a thing until it was mentioned in conference today so i, I appreciated that as well yeah i felt like some of those mentionings about the temple recommend uh, like I, I immediately thought my stake president is going to like file this away for later because this has been one of his main things that he's been talking about because there isn't a temple in Singapore. And at the moment we can't really travel outside. So you can't pop over to the Philippines or, I mean, even if Hong Kong was open, you know, you can't go there either. And so, um, but trying to like elevate the stake has been, you know, you can still get a temple recommend, even if you aren't necessarily able to travel all the time. So that felt like a pretty regular um, shout out for me. I'd like to know, um, so I, I um, did not watch the women's session. I ended up going somewhere else last night. Thanks, and Jared. I know. No, that's one of those things. I was like, I should watch this. And then my mother-in-law says, hey, I drive, should watch. Drive. Well, no, I wanted to. At first I thought it was, just, I, I was, business as usual. I was like, okay, it's oh, session. And then they said, oh no, it's women's session. I was like, oh yeah, there's no, I, something. It, it reminds me of, uh, in Groundhog Day when he meets Ned Ryerson and Ned Ryerson just says like, what are you doing for dinner? And he just says something else. Something else. That's no, I had intended. And then my mother-in-law, she wanted to go to a, her friend had a 70th birthday party, that, which I understood would be much more socially distanced than it was. Anyway, I missed the, the session. <laughs> I went and uh, looked today and read like the, the newsroom recaps and summaries of each of the talks. And I thought there was some, like to me, like Sister Eubank, I was like, I need to get to that talk. Like all of them I thought looked really good. And I was curious for those who did attend the women's session of conference, what, what good highlights did you see? What, what did we miss? What did I miss anyway? I really liked the women's session of conference. In fact, what's funny is we were talking about it at the dinner table tonight because my husband sat down and watched the women's session with myself and my daughters. And, and he said this last night and he said it today. He's like, I think the Lord likes you women more than us. You know, I mean, he, and I said, yeah, he does. So there. And we were just talking about how long it had been since there'd been a priesthood session because we had the women's session. And then the first women's session, which was in October a year ago. And then we had April, which should have been the priesthood session and wasn't. 
and because of the restoration. And then, of course, we had the women's session again. But, um, you know, I did really like Sister Eubanks' talk. That was one of the favorite talks of one of my daughters, um, where she just talked about, you know, the power that the women have and being unified and the unlimited potential of women to change society. And I think that, you know, if we as sisters really kind of take that to heart, um, in a lot of the little things that we do just on a daily and regular basis and the people that we come in contact with. And, um, you know, sometimes our hearts are a little more softer and that, you know, we can maybe respond to people and hear things that, you know, otherwise might not happen. So I really liked that. And um, I really liked uh, President Iring's talk too in the women's session where he talked about, you know, the Savior comes to people who have been gathered and prepared. And then he talks about Enoch's people. And um, he talked about how women are really the essential force in gathering Israel and living up to our privileges. And it just kind of reminded me because I just was, I went into this conference just feeling kind of discouraged about a lot of things. You know, COVID has just gotten me down and I'm like, I'm so tired of this. And the things that I'm tired of are just really stupid things, you know, like not being able to go to the grocery store and find something that I want, you know, first world problems that I really shouldn't be annoyed with, but I am. And so I really appreciated a lot of the messages in conference that just said, you know, hey, we realize everybody's tired. Hang in there. We got a longer way to go. But in addition to that, I thought that there was a lot of messages about about preparation as well, um, kind of feeding through everything. Well, you know, I will confess that it is unusual for me to to say El President Oak's talk was one of my favorites. And I, I confess, again, I haven't heard it. I actually am relying on the recap from the church news because of a conflict I had yesterday morning. But but one of the, you know, his his he reinforced the right of the people, the right of people to peacefully protest and called out rioters. And I think that's good. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. And, and one of the, there was a little nuance that I caught that I thought was really important. He said that we peacefully accept the results of elections. We will not participate in the violence threatened by those disappointed with the outcome. Uh, in a democratic society, we always have the opportunity and the duty to persist peacefully until the next election. And um, what struck me is, that, you know, that there are a lot of Republican Mormons who are listening to a president threaten to not accept the outcome of the election. And so it was, he was, you know, President Oaks was talking to us about accepting a, an election that might not go, I hate to say our way, but that's kind of the group he was talking to. And his, it, you know, it's kind of his, his people and our people. Anyway, I thought that was an interesting call out. And I think it could go, we're all, we know we're going to talk about this talk quite a yeah. bit. We're talking <laughs> Saturday morning, right? Not talking, his talk in the women's session. Yeah, the right, right. Yeah. Got it. And, and I, I'm inclined to agree with you, Devin, but I also think you could talk to anybody because I could very well see what, with what we've seen the past few months, you know, even if the anger is righteous, have the actions been in terms of vandalism and violence? And we could just as well see that even if things go a different way and the, the incumbent 
legitimately receives a second term, there will also be plenty of uh, there. There will be some some hot tempers and a lot of emotion good behind that too. So good point. I think, good point. I mean, I, I'm with you. I think when I first heard it, I was thinking the same thing, but I think he's trying to talk to to both sides. people. It was a fascinating talk because it was so overtly political. I mean, I almost felt like listening to it. I was watching Dallin H. Oaks jurist. <laughs> more than Dallin H. Oaks, yeah. member of the first presidency. And it was hard for me to divorce myself from that because I mean, I, 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 it's political science, Jeff, needed to separate himself from Christian Latter-day Saint Jeff and, and take the remarks in a general conference context because some of the things he said, I'm like, well, I don't know about that theory. Let's, I'm going to break this apart. Uh, there might be a caveat here I'm a little bit concerned about. It was very easy for me to take all these notes down. Like, like even when he said we accept the results of elections, I'm like, he didn't say, democratically confirmed elections like this could leave the window open for election fraud or or right or- in a similar vein like and he said you know we we you know we should recognize a state's legitimate police power and i was like well what about a state's illegitimate police power exactly. or what about legitimate police power that exercises their power illegitimately or you know and, and i was and like that's what i wanted yeah. to nitpick what he was saying yeah. but i was like yeah. okay, I, I can't he's the lawyer and judge i can't lawyer and judge the lawyer and judge so. and that's when we get into like realms of yeah just theory and and concepts, Great like, jared had there I loved it. Yeah. And I was, well, I was worried about the same thing. The illegitimate police power was a concern because I don't want to turn people away, but like you could make lots of arguments that what you saw in Portland was an extrajudicial or unconstitutional use of police power. So like what's police power? And I agree with President Oaks, especially in that, yes, we need to peacefully protest. We need to work through the system. We need to get things done. And I know he was speaking primarily to an American audience and he said that, but of course what he said could be applied around the world. It does raise concerns though. What if, what if you're in a place where legitimately the system does not work and you could argue about the United States, but anywhere else, you're like, what if you're just in like an authoritarian country or what if or where like you don't Belarus have a, you, and like you are, just took the election? Like that was not a legal, yeah. like, like, like if you are breaking are the law, if you are breaking the law, even by peacefully assembling and you can't work within the confines of the law to affect change, revolution's like the only other option, I think, for or, a lot or of what, people. Or let's say yeah. that, you know, somebody's taxing your tea and then you go aboard a ship at night and throw and there that was tea that, into yes. the harbor. <laughs> or, or, or say that you live in a place called Nauvoo and this newspaper called The Expositors, yeah. publishing things that you don't like about your people. What, what's justified there, right? I mean, so there were lots of caveats that I wanted. Yeah, but again, but, it was exactly. But, but, don't you think, but don't you think, I mean, so while agreeing with you, I mean, I think what was nov- like very notable to me about President Oaks's remarks across the board, but particularly that talk, was that he didn't, this wasn't Dallin H. Oaks, the jurist, he was quoting the words of the Lord, right? Like he emphasized his talk around, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar and unto right. God's that which is God's. I mean, he was saying, listen, everybody, like there is a responsibility we have to follow the laws of the land. And let's, like, let's be clear, Caesar was a dictator and the vassal state of Judea that he was preaching in, the Lord himself was preaching in, was not like what we would consider a legitimate government by most means, right? So, I mean, I'm not at all defending any, like, like I love liberal democracy more than anything, right? But I'm just <laughs> saying, like, like, I think actually President Oaks is being careful to, to speak to a global audience and to say, listen, like, this is hard. And humans throughout time have had to deal with, like, really hard government situations. And, like, let's be honest, citizens of the U.S., like, you don't have it as hard as a lot of people have throughout human history, even right now. And so I think there was, like, for me, something really powerful there. And then also him invoking the words of the Lord and saying, listen, love your enemies, right? 
love your adversaries. And then for, for, Elder, for Elder Ballard, for the president of the Quorum of the Twelve to cite the same scripture in the same conference the next day. Didn't we have at least like three thinking. people re- did that bit from the yeah. Sermon on the Mount about praying for those that despitefully use you and persecute you and, you know, love your enemy? We, we yeah, had a few. Was, I think the main scripture repeats that happened a lot during conference. So we'll get back to this one. You had that. You had a number of references of the city of Enoch, more than any yeah. conference I can remember yeah. that came up. And also Doctrine and Covenants 122 was all over the place in the talks this time around, which is, of course, it's all very timely. Yeah, which, which is really interesting. Uh, okay, I have to say, one of yes. the things about Elder Oak's talk that surprised me is because, yes, I do think it was very focused on members of the church in America. Certainly there is stuff in there that other people can take away, especially his stuff about, you know, don't contend with anger. Anger is of the devil. It's Satan's tool. Anger is a choice. But to me, it seems so pointedly directed at Americans and in a church that is increasingly worldwide and wanting to be worldwide and wanting to have a perspective that is kind of global. Um, I just was surprised by this because usually you don't find stuff that is so focused towards Americans. And to me, that told me, I'm like, wow, he is really concerned, uh, you know, probably as a jurist and as a lawyer and having the things that, he, you know, the positions that he's held before and the things that he's done, he's really concerned about the state of the country and the role that we as members of the church are playing in either building it up or tearing it down. Yeah, for sure. And one of the little things he said kind of near the beginning, he just, he commented that, you know, we can't allow political divisions to arise in our congregations to divide us. He sort of, I don't know if he said this overtly, I wrote it down, but that we also shouldn't be like using political language from the pulpit, which happens, I think, especially in areas, I think, where we are more dominant, Mm -hmm. like in the Intermountain West and where there are some political assumptions. I've heard, this is all anecdotal, but I've heard plenty of stories about people just sort of saying things from the pulpit that maybe shouldn't be said from the pulpit. Um, those are good reminders just in general, yeah. just to let us be who we are and and not be divided and not be defined. I mean, the whole the whole issue here is ites and not becoming ites. You know, I mean, hey. fourth Nephi is this such a cautionary book of scripture and that it starts off so great. Everyone's so happy. If you've ever read the children's versions of the Book of Mormon, everyone's playing leapfrog for some reason. It's, it's, it's what makes them all happy. Um <laughs> But it's leap. If you ever look at the children's drawings of the Book of Mormon, leapfrog. Every time they're happy, there's like three different leapfrog drawings. That's a whole other thing I would love to learn about someday. But uh, by the end, they've descended into class factions, right? And right. and it's become a whole thing all over again. It's so easy to define ourselves by tribalism. And we had another talk. We had a talk that specifically talked about that period of of you know 200 plus years of peace post christ and then that the, the beginning of those divisions and then also again and i just read the recaps but i know there was at least one talk from women's session that it was all about unity and i love that idea and, and like you said we need to make sure we're not creating divisions in the church and i find myself doing that you know and, and again i just moved across the country i've, I've been on the east coast uh, in the dc area for 14 years i'm used to a certain way that people dress and wear their facial hair and their you hair are a beltway other. insider jerry i am i'm a beltway insider i'm an i'm yes. a what do you call it a, a east coast elite or coastal yeah. elite or whatever anyway go. but then i find myself you know i'm in a very different place it has a different culture um you know, I'm still in the United States. I'm still among Americans and people who speak my language and everything else. But there's there are very, there are new cultural differences that I have to get used to, and I find myself not necessarily looking down, but but still creating a division in my mind and kind of feeling like, well, I'm part of this tribe and they're part of that tribe, and I and I constantly have to remind myself like this is not okay. Like, 
not only are we all this and all that, but we're just all children of God. And like, I, and I, it, it's, it's been a learning curve for me to check myself constantly so that I'm not making myself one eyed and making my neighbors uh, that I run into at the DMV or the post office a different eyed, you know? I loved it, President, President Ballard's talk about these issues and, and the way he called on people to pray for the leaders of their nations around the world. And he kind of started off with, Started off with freezing Devin. Uh, has anyone else lost Devin? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, we lost him. He might come back someday, everybody. Uh, oh. I'm sorry. I, there he I is. Apologize. Bad internet tonight. I do not know what's going on. The best part right now is I'm seeing the slight delay in the live stream. And right now there's just a frozen picture of Devin. Oh, <laughs> yeah. no, it's gone. Okay. He's back to Thank life. Thank heavens. Thank heavens. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I thought that was a great talk. And I thought they called it, you know, the way he, he sort of, he didn't, un, he didn't, unexceptionalized the United States so much as he elevated the status of other nations by calling on everyone in the world to pray for their nation's leaders. And uh, I think what he was in a way saying, at least what I kind of felt and heard was, hey, we're all equal in the world. All our countries are equal and uh, we should all be praying for our countries. Well, and also not only that, but he also, he elevated nationalities, but he also elevated faiths. And, and I, I pulled up the quote because I, I remember loving this. It says, no matter how you pray or to whom you pray, please exercise your faith, whatever your faith may be, and pray for your country and your national leaders. So I love that idea that, you know, I don't care if you pray to Christ or God or Elohim or Allah or whoever it is, like we can all pray and God will hear us. I mean, that's that's the implicit message that I got out of that. And I love that idea that recognizes the equality uh, or the, the the ideal that we should have, that there is an equality of faiths, that we, we don't have some special access to God just because we call him by one name and another faith calls him by something else. So I, I loved that from Miller Ballard. That's actually kind of tacitly radical in a way when you think about it. It is. I, I mean, and I loved we, it. We, we do so much of conference, so much of what we do is we talk about, you know, the, the correct way to pray, the correct way to do these things because we the, have the restored gospel. Mm-hmm. And it kind of implies that other ways are invalid. So it is an interesting... Yeah, we make exclusive truth claims and exclusive pleading. authority claims. And he kind of brushed those aside to say all of us can exercise our faith in, in however it looks or however it's shaped and, and call upon God and he will hear us. Yeah, Loved it. I mean, it's, it's bigger than that. I mean, and imagine if like, and especially in countries that are suffering, whether it's from COVID, whether it's from oppression, whatever it might be like, I don't think they're saying like, hey, people of Belarus, well, we love Belarus today. People of yeah. Belarus, pray for Lukashenko, pray for him and his well-being that he may rule well. No, it's not necessarily that, but it's like, it's praying. What if we could all pray together for like good things, for peace, for the opportunity to grow, for the people of Belarus to have an actual chance in the say of, you know, the, the direction of their country, whatever it may be, but we can all pray together. And there's a lot of power there. I mean, you want to hear, get a really nerdy uh, analogy here? If you've seen the movie Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, which of course all of you have, Spoiler alert, in the very end when Dumbledore dies, they made this up for the movie. Everyone holds, there's, a, there's the dark mark looming over Hogwarts, right? It's all cloudy. It's all sad. Everything's all sepia. And, they, and people start holding up their wands and they have little lights on them. And the power combined of their lights together fuse into enough light to cast out the darkness and the dark mark. And that's something they totally made up for the movie, but it's a good visual. And that's a, there's, I think, a lot of other similar stories you could 
tell that would you know get across the same point but like as together as a people as we uh if we come together in prayer there's a lot of spiritual power there you know we concentrate our power we concentrate our will we concentrate our our humility uh before god and i think it uh it can be a little more potent that way can i change gears a little bit i wanted to ask you guys please do because i'm in a weird place it's okay uh no we needed to bring harry potter into it at some point so um, so I think it was Elder Bednar's talk from the very, very beginning conference, uh, and he was talking, you know, a lot of the, another one of the themes, I don't know if we mentioned this, somebody might have, but there was a theme of being prepared. There was a lot about preparation. Yeah. I was pretty sure it was an Elder Bednar's talk. He said something that he mentioned, you know, that leaders of the church haven't talked about um, having like a year supply or a 72 hour kit and things like that. He says, and they have, you know, that we haven't talked about it for a while. And because of that, people have assumed that it was no longer important. And then he kind of like looked at us as if like, are you crazy? Of course, it's still important. And um, I was just having this conversation, a similar conversation with my brother-in-law, uh, just on a similar point, at least, where we were talking about how, you know, people love to like bring up Ezra Taft Benson quotes to talk about like the constitution and like the threats to our country and, you know, and like, you know, like things like the international communist conspiracy and things like that. And so, but like nobody, and we were both saying like, but yeah, I mean, so people still want to bring that up and say, you know, this is something we have to worry about because look at us, Jeff Benson. And we were like, well, nobody, no one since President Benson has warned us about the international communist conspiracy. So can we just assume that we can move on from that? And Elder Bednar was kind of saying, again, he wasn't talking about that specifically, but his message that I heard, at least in part, was just because we haven't talked about it for a while doesn't mean the problem's gone away and it's not important anymore. And he was, you know, in this instance, talking specifically about food storage. But what, are your, what is your guys' impression of that? It took me by surprise because I kind of did think, you know, they're not telling us to plant a garden anymore. Maybe we don't need to plant a garden. Like, I don't know, like, what's your take on that bit of counsel? And, and, and on a larger scale, I guess my question is, how much do we need to delve into the archives to find important counsel if, if we're not getting all the important counsel we need right now from our current leaders in their talks right now? Well, I think that there was a lot, this conference, obviously, about preparation. And that was one of the big takeaways that I had. And I liked what Elder Bednar said, where he said, you know, there, you know, a consistence of repeated messages. You know, there are so many messages that we've had over the years that, um, you know, and, and, and that they can't every conference repeat everything. But I think that, you know, when you talk about preparation, and there was a lot in this conference about preparation, they both, there was a big focus on spiritual preparation, which I really appreciated. But and, and there was a, there was a, also a focus on temporal preparation. But I I think what they were saying is, you know, if you are not spiritually prepared, you're not going to be temporally prepared, and that we really need to start with that solid spiritual foundation because then all of the other things kind of fall in line. And just from my perspective, you know, being older than some of you, you know, when I was a kid growing up, the focus very much was on temporal preparation, on planting your garden, on having your, you know, first it was a two year, then it was one year, you know, then it was like, can we get 90 days? And I've seen that shift focus over the years to now, it's very much spiritual first, temporal second. And I think that that's kind of interesting. And I think that, you know, we need to have that spiritual preparation and then all the other things temporarily kind of fall in line if we're spiritually prepared. Amen. I found, I found, yeah, amen. And you know, to your point, Tiffany, 
I found the couple emphases that, you know, preparation matters now as, as very interesting and important, kind of going back to some of the earlier points. It's like, yeah, we're in the middle of a pandemic, but it doesn't mean like, oh, well, missed the boat this time. <laughs> like I'm good for a while. Right. It's like, no, like, like life isn't like maybe whatever, you know, less of us are going to be sick soon. Pandemic's going to change, but like stuff is still going to happen. And preparation starts right now, both, both temporal and spiritual. So I really liked your, your, your emphasis on that. Can I ask, can I ask a, a question that, you know, that's been in my mind as you've been discussing and, and especially Josie, I'm interested in your thoughts because you're the only one right now that lives overseas, I think, right. Of the six of us on the call. And, you know, there, you know, there were a couple of talks and notably other gongs that really tried to speak to the universality of the gospel. And we alluded to a couple of the other talks where folk, you know, where, where, where the speakers were explicitly trying to talk about this being universal about cultures, about different countries, you know, the elder, elder Ballard talking about, you know, people from all nationalities and faiths. So it felt like, you know, sitting here in the U S was like, okay, good. I, like there was a lot of focus on people not in the U.S., despite some of the things we said about, you know, talks specifically around the American political situation. But like, how does that, how do you think it's perceived by like the members in your stake or the folks that you know? Like, does it feel like there's more of a message that's trying to bring in folks that are not, you know, sitting in America? I think yes and no. And the no side is only because like we are human. And so the moment that they say lots of really good things, we're still more likely to remember this moment when they don't say something that's globally or more internationally inclusive, like the Elder Oaks talk. You know, that one I still feel like will probably stick in people's minds a little bit more of like a, oh, why, like, is this a conference talk or should this have been someplace else? And like, I had a lot of feelings about that talk, which we've already kind of gone past it. So I won't dive into it too much, but I just felt like for a lot of people that could be, even in the US and internationally, that could be a talk that could be difficult for them to work through. Um, But the other stuff, like, yes, I'm glad you brought that up because like, it is nice to like acknowledge that, okay, maybe we had a couple that, they still feel like they're geared towards the US, but there are a lot of efforts that are like we're trying. And so I have to, you know, be willing to like acknowledge that and be happy with that, that um, those messages are trying to get out there that like, yes, let's look at this at the greater scale and context of all of these different people. I also kind of feel like that's why some of our general conference messages, um, maybe Jared, this is kind of hitting on your point of like, maybe we haven't mentioned the 72 hour kits as regularly because I feel like we've gone a lot more like top level of faith, preparation, spirituality. Like we talk about these concepts, but not necessarily the here's your to-do list of how you do these things because they don't apply so much in a global context. Like I, for one, 100% did not have any food storage because I do not have space. But when Elder Bednar said that, I was kind of like, oh, I could probably fit a 72 hour care here in this bomb shelter of mine you know and so that was a little reminder but for lots of places here with small apartments you don't you know sometimes you kind of just go oh that's not for me that's people in utah who have a basement and like can fit their stuff so i felt like um just like we're getting there and i have you know i i do think that those of us across um the world. And obviously like I'm still an American who's living outside of the U S so it's probably still feels a bit different. Um, I think we're getting there. Yeah. 
All right, Elder Cook. Um, let me, can no. I just? Can Elder I just? Devin. No. Uh, can I just add one thought to to Dustin's question and uh, uh, Elder uh, or I think then President Uchtdorf gave a talk. Is it now five or six years ago? You'll all remember it. But where he talked about uh, the church has made mistakes. Look to this idea of consensus uh, of the brethren rather than you know one-off comments, especially outside of general conference. I thought it was really an insightful talk, but I think it bears on this discussion, Dustin, that you raised. And it does seem to me that uh, if something doesn't come up, like communism for 30 years, I think that is exactly what it means, that, that uh, it's moved off the radar. Uh, I think with food storage, that was the kind of thing that we had talked about less. It had not completely moved off the radar. But if you look, if you do a search on LDS.org for communism, I think you'll find it has not come up a lot in the last 30 years, uh, really and truly. That's because we won the Cold War, Devin. Put them in their place. <laughs> Good. Um, well, it's a fair point. I mean, all these conference, it's inspired, but it's topical. I mean, we've heard many times that they, they don't dictate the subjects or anything to any of the speakers. You know, they, uh, they do what they do. And obviously, unity was a huge part of this conference. I can't remember a That's single annoying. conference in my life where there was such a call for unity among the saints. And that is the topic that matters right now. I mean, we don't hear as many talks even nowadays about pornography like we did, I'd say, in the mid-aughts when it was coming up a lot. And I'm sure the brethren are still concerned about that. But like Devin said, it's not the, as much of the present issue, even if it remains one, probably more so than communism, I would think. But uh, unfortunately, but yeah, I, 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 like I love the call to unity this weekend. It was so strong. It was everywhere. I mean, it was just permeating every single talk. Sorry, Jody. I, I was just going to say, I think from talking to some other people and also seeing some comments online, um, I think some people are feeling some frustration with the unity call, which like, I, I loved it because I was like, yes, we need this. But also um, sometimes it's hard to figure out, okay, how do we actually go ahead and do that when, especially like online life is very not unified and very contentious. And as Jared says, like very separated into our little factions and into our groups. So like elder uh, Devin, I think you were about to bring this up, like elder cooks talk, um, it was about unity and love in Christ, but then there were also some, like, there were, I felt like there were a lot of things that um, were said that were true, and then people could also see as like, oh, but but what about this? Like, for example, he said that, you know, the gospel of Christ and like our gospel is all inclusive doctrine, and we have respect for diversity. And I heard that, and part of me is like, yes, it totally is. And then the other part of me is kind of like, well, what about like LGG, LGTQ people? Like, are they also hearing that and thinking like, oh, that doesn't include me. Like it's all inclusive for everybody else, but it's not for me. Like, I don't know because I'm um, not a member of, you know, <laughs> that group, but I was just trying to be aware of maybe how other people would be feeling in that moment. And like, I want it to be all-inclusive. I want everybody to feel unified, but I don't know that after this conference, I felt like I had clarity on how to bring other people in who were feeling like they're marginalized or on the outside. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I took it to mean, I loved Elder Cook's talk. I took it to mean mm. like a call for unity in the sense that the Brotherhood of Men 
And they've been teaching us principles along these lines. And I know that for like LGBTQ, for example, those issues, we're still navigating those. We're still figuring a lot of it out, I think. But the call to love and to be inclusive and to be inviting has been there for a long time. I think maybe at the, at the working level, as we might say, maybe we're not executing the way we should all the time as Latter-day Saints. And I took Elder Cook's great talk. And it's, honestly, I mean, I joke about Elder Cook a lot on this show, but I, I think it was one of my favorite Elder Cook talks that I can remember in recent memory because he was just saying like, look, like, you know, he said, there's not a Gentile culture or a Judaic culture. You know, your wards are not determined by race. It's not on your membership records. None of this stuff matters. Like what matters is that you love each other and that you're inviting. And I agree that in some ways, even structurally, we have some things to figure out, Josie. We have some things we're working on. But I think it was just a reminder. I mean, we as a people aren't perfect at implementing the counsel we receive. And that's just how it is. I mean, I know that within a month, a lot of what we're even talking about right now will start to, to thin out in people's minds, which is unfortunate, but that's why we always have to reinforce it. And so for me, I thought Elder Cooks was just was a great reminder to do our part in our units locally to, to affect that change, to be that change, and to be the people who can be inviting and loving and, and help others who might feel on the outs, who might question whether that messaging was really for them, like you said, Joe. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I have uh, kind of uh, along some of the lines, and Jeff, you were talking about it like sort of on the unit level, and I think um, to me, a lot of what I thought about while these messages were coming out, especially like Elder Cooks and some of these for calls to unity or calls to like, you know, eliminate racism, that to me, I, I, I thought of it, a lot of it was more actionable just on the individual, your own heart level. Hmm. And especially I've been thinking about that a lot since I, um, on the Maxwell Institute podcast a few weeks ago, they had a, a, a scholar named Kimberly Matheson Berkey. And she, she wrote the Maxwell Institute's um, brief theological introduction to Helaman. And, you know, Helaman is where we get all of like the, um, the secret combinations starting to pop up and things like that. And they talked a little bit about that. And, and she said, it's interesting because people always want to ask like, well, how do I recognize the secret combinations? And, you know, looking outward, right? Like, is it the socialists? Is it this? Is it that? Um, because they want to be able to point their finger and say, all right, now I know that they're the bad group and they're the ones I'm supposed to fight. And she said that that's, she doesn't feel like that was the point of the warnings that Mormon gives us about not letting, allowing secret combinations to crop up. Cause she says at some point, in the Book of Mormon, you can't separate separate Nephite society from secret combinations. It just becomes one and the same. And she says the problem becomes that the people had allowed their hearts to be a place where secret combinations can have a place. Anyway, I, that's a kind of a tangent, but the point is, that's what I was thinking about during conference, that I was like, you know, we're talking about systemic problems. We're talking about society-wide problems. We're talking about church-wide problems, right, that we're addressing here. And it seems really big to say, like, well, how do we root this out of the church or out of my community or out of my ward even? And, like, I was like, I don't know how to do that, but I can look into my heart and look at, like, where's my racism? Like, as Devin pointed out, like, we all have some sort of prejudice that we were raised with. Or how do I, you know, when I look into my heart and, I, and I'm dividing myself from my neighbors into different groups. And, like, I think part of the, like, just a part of the answer, and it can't be the entire answer, because at some point we do have to address it on a larger scale, but I think part of the, the answer here is that we all have to look into our own hearts and say, do, have I given place for these things? And if you can root that out of your own heart, then you can start to affect change on a larger scale. And if everybody's working on their own heart, then we will start to see that change on a larger scale. And I really, I really love that point. And, you know, if I could share one brief extra 
extra conferential example as I was thinking about as you're making that point, Josie, just a couple of weeks ago, one of the brethren did like a regional conference for our area here in the East. And in one of the leadership meetings, which I did not attend, but got the readout on from my bishop, somebody asked him about this, you know, kind of the contention and what that means for our units. And he shared the story actually of Venezuela in the early 2000s. And specifically like, you know, the, the, the huge kind of discord around Chavez as he, you know, kind of came into power and that you had saints on both sides of, of that, you know, dispute, which, you know, arguably is significantly even more, you know, kind of stark than what we're facing right now in the U.S. And that like the saints were okay and that the units did well and the stake presidents reported how, you know, unity was able to like prevail and that even as that country was getting torn apart and obviously a lot of tough things happen in there now, but like even as so much was happening politically there, you know, the units were able to stay stable and unified and people, you know, because they focused on charity and gospel principles before their other beliefs. Like you had people from both sides of the spectrum that like successfully, you know, navigated that period and like remained the body of Christ. And like, I, that just like was, they shared that with me. I was like, that's amazing. And I just felt like that was in my mind as I was hearing some of these talks today is like, I don't know. I don't want to be like too stark about it, but it's like, in a way, you know, the brethren sometimes call the people to repentance that need to be called to repentance. Like do we as American saints need to be called to repentance a little bit, right? Like Paul wrote epistles to the specific city states that had specific issues that needed to be called out. And perhaps we are, you know, in need of repentance more than some others right now when it comes to like how we've been approaching that as, as, as a people here in this particular land. Just again, just my, my thought. No, that's an interesting perspective on it. Definitely. It's funny. This isn't, um, it's funny you brought that one up, Dustin, because we're in the same region, and my bishop brought up the same Venezuela story when we have bishopric meeting too. It's funny, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> Dustin's like one stake away from me, everybody, because I live so far away. So. Okay, can we talk about my favorite talk so far? Because again, I haven't yes. listened to Sunday, but I loved Scott Whiting's talk. It was like what was this? Like the third talk or something in the yeah. Saturday session in the morning. Um. This was one that I immediately was like, oh, I'm going to have to go and listen back to this a couple of times because he's speaking my language, which was all about the like the command to be even as I am that Jesus says and how many of us feel like that's too daunting or unattainable. And so like I'm going to sit here in my little comfort zone and not push myself too much because like I'll get like anxiety if I try too hard to be perfect. And I felt like I had truly been called out. <laughs> Um, and I just loved that he was trying to say like, what if becoming even as I am is exactly what he meant? And okay. So if that's the case, then like, how do we get there now? And he leaves us with the question of like, how much effort are we willing to make? I thought that that was really powerful on just like, that was like the spiritual feeding that I truly needed. And then um, yeah, I just loved that. And that to me was like the perfect start. I think like, as Devin said, with President Nelson sort of starting us off with his little preamble with all the good stuff that was to come. And then we hit with Elder Whiting and I was like, this is, thank you. This is what I needed. I loved his counsel in particular about focusing on like single areas, right? Like it's so easy when we're trying to be Christ-like to say like, I want to be like Jesus. And see all the things he is that I am not and then be overwhelmed by that and realize I am not there and then tell myself, it's okay. You're not going to be there. You're mortal. Uh, you just, you just keep being you, Jeff, you're doing great. Exactly. Um, he reminded us like, no, just focus on one area 
that you can work on one at a time. Don't let yourself get overwhelmed. And that's a great, that's, it's that simple counsel when you think about it, but it's really, really smart. And I think it's a lot easier when you could say like, Jesus is patient. And if I want to work on my patience, I'm going to read the scriptures and look for examples of how he was patient and strive to emulate that. And once I've got that down, he made a point that while well, you'll find other, other things to work on, inevitably other aspects of Jesus's character are also going to sort of come more naturally as you do that. And that was, that was smart for me. It really spoke to me. It was really, I felt, I found it a very reassuring because yeah, I, I, it's overwhelming when you think I need to become like Jesus or even just like, I mean, sometimes I just set my sights lower, right? And I just find somebody that I like, you know, I want to emulate this, but it, no, no matter what, I always feel like I'm going to fall short. And I loved his, how his talk was like, you can break it down. It doesn't have to be all at once. It doesn't have to be right now. You have to start right now, but it doesn't have to all happen right now. And it was like a very encouraging to me on this idea of like, I can become like Jesus. And I felt like also, and again, I'm saying this not having actually heard the entire talk, but you reminded me of the summary that I read from uh, Church News of Sister Craven's talk uh, from women's session. And she was talking about becoming, well, it was about becoming like Jesus, but also like enduring to the end. And there was this quote that as you were talking, uh, I thought, oh, that's relevant. I pulled it up. Uh, And she says, Jesus Christ has given us a continuous pattern for change. He invites us to exercise faith in him, which inspires us to repent. As we repent and turn our hearts to him, we gain a greater desire to make and live sacred covenants. We endure to the end by continuing to apply these principles throughout our lives and inviting the Lord to change us. And then I love this part, enduring to the end means changing to the end. I am not starting over with each failed attempt, but with each try, I'm continuing my process of change. And I love that idea that like, you know, we're going to fall short and then we're going to feel like we failed and then we have to start all over and I love her point that like, no, you're not starting over. You're starting from where you left off and the Lord will continue to help you. And I just, and I also love that idea that, you know, and I think this marries so well with Elder Whiting's talk, this idea that we also have to invite the Lord to change us, that it's not going to happen on our own. And I think that's empowering too, to realize like, I don't have to become all like by Jesus all by myself. I need to become like Jesus by making the effort and by inviting him to change me as I do it. And that's really comforting and empowering, like I said. I want to mention one of my favorite talks, which was um, Elder Holland's talk today. He was the very last speaker. No one ever says that, Tiffany. No one ever. (laughs) (laughs) I know that. But I just, like, I literally was crying all throughout his talk. If you look at my notes, my notes just have tear stains all over because I just feel like Elder Holland gets it. You know, I mean, he's so empathetic with everybody who is struggling. And he gave a great talk on, you know what, the Lord hears your prayers. You may not think that the Lord does not hear your prayers, but the Lord hears your prayers. And he's, and he reminded us, because sometimes, you know, when we're not getting the answers that we want, we feel like, hello, anybody there, you know, sort of a thing. And he reminded us, you know, the Lord answers every single prayer and it's always heard. And he says, you know, when do our answers come? And I really liked where he said, um, answers come by and by, and that may be short, that may be long, but through all of this, we need to hold fast to that faith that the Lord is hearing our prayers and um, our faith in Jesus Christ. And I just, I loved every single word of it. I loved the little satire uh, he gave uh, toward the end, I think. And I'm forgetting, I can't even paraphrase it, but I loved it. And I was disappointed that the uh, 
church news didn't capture it for me and I didn't go back and otherwise capture it, but it was brilliant. But he concluded with the thought, Christianity is comforting, but it is not, but it is often not comfortable. That was the point he was making. And it is so true. You know, he was talking about, uh, you know, sipping lemonade and, and asking God to let all of the challenges pass us by. Yeah. And not have to do any real work. And he rem- it's just not the way it works. Yeah. And he reminded us, you know, there are going to be times, no matter how earnest our prayers, how sincere and how just they are, like it might not yield the results that we're looking for. And we've heard that throughout our lives as you study the gospel, like we don't get answers the way we think. But I think he was telling us very clearly, like, keep praying, keep being faithful. But COVID's not going to go away tomorrow, <laughs> even though we're being faithful and praying. And that's going to be frustrating. Like it's going to, we're going to be frustrated but you can't let yourself feel abandoned by God. You can, and you can't abandon God, even if you're not getting what you're looking for initially. Like it's tough. Like it requires so much faith in sticking it out. And I think right now society, we're in such a place that it's real easy to want to throw your hands in the air and just be done with it and go and just hide in Liechtenstein and not deal with anything anymore. But we can't do that. And we have to just, you know, stay the course. And on the Holland train, two thoughts well one how similar does his son look i thought it was uncanny even yeah. in mannerisms <laughs> it even pronunciation yeah, yeah. The, i think the only thing he didn't do was pronounce his w's with like white that was probably the only thing that was a that's little a, bit that's off a learned me. skill Just, you <laughs> get that when you're a journalist time yeah. all right give him a few more years the other thing that I, I'm trying to look through my notes on this, and I feel like I was a little bit scatterbrained, but I picked out one question that from what he said, this is again from Matthew Holland's talk, which where he said, like, our suffering is not in vain. And I wanted to ask, like, what do you guys think that that means? Because to me, I was kind of like, what? I would just prefer not to. Like, what does that mean? It's in, not in vain. How is this? helpful like he's talking a lot about how we can be made perfect through our suffering none of this was quite computing in my brain you know the way i looked at it is that i think suffering can be a refinement it can make us it it can help us to be humble it can help us to learn empathy for others and it can really help us to get some of those and obtain some of those christ-like characteristics so i think when he says our suffering is not in vain it's not in vain in terms of if we allow that suffering to teach us that then we learn and maybe we learn um you know, to have some some of those Christ-like characteristics. That's how I took it. Hmm. Yeah, I made a big mistake yesterday. Uh, I was driving when I listened to Elder Lund's talk, and it got a little dangerous for me because I'm a crybaby <laughs> listening to the story of his, his son, the deacon that died, right? Uh, that was... Uh, that kind of wiped me out. I thought that was a touching, great story. Uh, and, uh, you know, gave me a renewed sense of the importance of deacons and the sacrament. It's good. Jared, you were going to say something, but I think. It was oh on. yeah. Um, just going back to Josie's question and, and what, and Tiffany's comment on it. I, I, I had a, a similar thought. Like I, I thought about, 
Well, especially when you asked that question, Josie, I thought about my dad and, you know, he, he passed away almost, it'll be 10 years in February. Um, but, you know, leading up to his death, he suffered for a long time. And, um, and I, I remember thinking this a lot as he was going through the suffering with his health and his mental health and things like that. Uh, but that it seemed important to me that I learned something and because it, it was suffering for me too, because I was watching my dad in pain and then, and then he died and it was um, not entirely unexpected, but it was very sudden. And, and I, and it, and I, and personally, like you said, I would just assume that my dad was still alive and that he was healthy. Like it, that I, he, um, Last week he would have turned uh, seventy-four, um, and I and I wish he was still here, and I and that would be better to me. But on the other hand, I, I can see the perspective that his suffering and my suffering and my family's suffering with his loss um, is not in vain because I can look and find specific lessons from his life and from his death that I can say, well, I'm going to do this because my dad taught me this by his good example, or I can say, I'm going to do this differently because this is what my dad, I wish he had done or I wish he could have done differently. And so I think the, uh, the, the life lessons are a part of that. And I think another thing, and this is something that Tiffany made me think of, I can't remember what you said specifically, but it, you, you made me think of my brother. My brother, uh, my older brother has gone through a lot of health issues um, and I won't go into them specifically uh, for his own <laughs> privacy's sake, but it's what, one of the things that I love about my brother is that, um, when he finds someone else who is suffering, who has suffered or is suffering through the things that he has gone through, he makes it his mission to bless them in whatever way he can. He he shares his experiences with them. He 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 points them towards resources. He tells them the things that he's done that has made his experience better, and his suffering in that way has not been in vain because he can now bless other people who have su- who are suffering in the same way. And I I've I, I've always admired that about my, uh, with my older brother, that he, he could easily just take all everything he's been through and just kind of crunch it up into a ball and keep it to himself and stew on it. But instead he turns it outward and says, how can I use this experience to make sure that other people have better experiences and have a better life than what I've gone through? So I think that's another way to make sure that, you know, our suffering isn't in vain, that we can take our bad experiences and turn them to not only towards our good, but towards the good of those around us. During that talk, I was also thinking about how if the ultimate goal is to become like the Lord, then we have to experience as many things as possible that he experienced. And suffering was a predominant part of his existence and atonement. Jeff, can I ask a, like a, pre- I have like a question. Is there time though? There's all the time in the Where world. We, like I have the, and it's, and I'm, I'm especially interested in your reflections Tiffany is a mother of daughters and, and everybody's, but there, so when, when the prophet spoke in women's conference, he, he reiterated the point that he all like really emphasized really powerfully a year ago, women's conference uh, that, and, and like very emphatically was like, you know, sisters like, and I, I forget the exact language, but basically I admonish you to, you know, seek after the power of the priesthood in performing the ordinances and living your covenants right but like to seek after the power of the priesthood and like that i think it's like i mean it's a big deal right i mean that the prophet has emphatically like made this point and like focused women's conference around before and concluded his marks with that now like i you know in the in the intervening period i've become the father of a daughter so like this like hit me even more like you know yesterday last night 
as you said that I'm, I'm like really interested in your reflections. Like, how does that, you know, when, when you hear that, when you're with your girls, like what, like, what are some of the things that, uh, that, that you feel like they're experiencing? I feel like it's very different than we've ever heard a prophet speak before. You know, it is very different. And he has brought, um, an entirely new way for women to look at the priesthood, in my opinion. And not that that has, hasn't always been there, but it, there just hasn't, we haven't talked about it that much, you know, and you look at this coming on the heels of, you know, the ordained women movement, which granted, you know, was several years ago, who were like, give women the priesthood, you know, and I've been like, I, I, I don't really want the priesthood in terms of, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't want the priesthood in terms of, I don't want that responsibility. I have enough responsibility as it is. But yet at the same time, acknowledging for some women, that's, that's a really important thing. And so I think that how he has turned this to say, you know, hey, when you go through the temple, and, and he's really focused it on the temple and the endowment power through the temple and the access to priesthood that that gives you through that endowment power, that um, it's been really good for me to kind of um, been able to have those discussions with my girls because I've got a 13-year-old, a 19-year-old, and a 20-year-old. And so they're at the place now where they can understand those issues a lot more. And I think that it helps them uh, to, to not focus on inequality or the or the perception of inequality, but really to focus on, you know, hey, I do have access to the priesthood. Is it the same as the young men? No, it's not the same as the young men. And as they have talked about in other conferences, the young men are simply holders of the priesthood. And um, anyway, so I, I, it's it's been really good for especially my two older girls to be able to have that understanding that, you know, they do have priesthood power. Their priesthood power just looks a lot different than the priesthood power that their brothers have. Thanks a lot for sharing. So, congratulations on your little girl. She's growing up in a great world (laughs) (laughs) where um, things are very different than they were even 30 years ago. They are. Our best days are ahead of us, right? Like how many times did we hear that message? Like, I love that you just brought that up. Like that was, that was, that we heard that a lot, right? Like we should be happy. We should be hopeful. Thanks for sharing that. You know, and I, I also wonder too, you know, how much of this coming from President Nelson is from the fact that first of all, what did he have? Nine daughters and one son, or did he have, is that how many he had? I think nine daughters and one son. So he grew up in a house full of women, but then you have to look at the background of his second wife who was single for so long, you know? So is it a combination of these two factors of the women in his life that are kind of allowing him to look at, to, to look at women in a different sense than maybe some of our other prophets have, you know, because I think in order to receive revelation, and I don't know, I mean, I'm not a prophet, this is Tiffany 101, you know, you kind of have to have a question, and you have to be thinking about that question, much like exactly what happened with Joseph Smith and how he received the Doctrine and Covenants, is you have to have a question, you're thinking about those questions, and then the revelation comes, and so it makes me wonder if his background with with all of the women in his life has helped him to bring those questions to the forefront to, um, you know, let the sisters know, hey, 
I think you're equals and you better be treated by equals by not only your husbands, but all the other men you come in contact with. Amen to that. A um, couple other talks because again, we're already past an hour, everybody. Crazy where the time goes. Jeremy, Elder Jeremy, is it Jaggy, Joggy, Yagi? I don't know how to say his last name. J-A-G-G-I. Is that Italian? I don't know. But uh, he gave a great talk on patience. I loved the content of his talk, patience. We've talked a lot about you know, weathering storms and this and that, but he focused exclusively uh, on patience. He talked a lot about, and some of the blessings that came his way, of course, as well. He talked a very touching story. I believe he was living in California and he was called as the mission president in Ogden, Utah. Mm-hmm. And that happened to be 30 minutes from where his brother, uh, did he actually say his brother had cancer? I don't remember if he yeah, disclosed it was what, the cancer. Sickness, what the sickness was, but his brother passed away. And just in like having that calling and accepting that calling to serve, instead of being down in California when his brother was ill, he was able to be 30 minutes away from his brother. Um, but I love that he talked about us, the, the patience that we need to have to weather storms. I don't know if anybody else caught that talk. It was one of the few. The afternoon session is always hard in our household because kids start to get um, unruly and tired of conference. So I have the worst notes <laughs> of my entire time. There was a great quote from that talk, though, that I picked up. He said, where we make covenants with God, the temple is temporarily closed. Where we keep covenants with God, the home, and I would add the world, is open. Uh, and I think that's a really important reminder. We we can go on about our business, keeping our covenants every day. Oh, and by the way, uh, Robert Mortensen just commented on our Facebook feed. His name is pronounced Yaji. Now we know. So thank you, Robert. Much appreciated, sir. Also, Elder Renland. Elder Renland is like my dark horse hero in the 12. I find so many... Dustin's giving me a look for that one. No, I just... Like, I think no, I Elder Renland gives some... He gives some incredibly thoughtful talks. And I, I tweeted about this. I feel like he's at such an unassuming demeanor that it's kind of easy to fly under the radar. And he's, he's an interesting speaker, but he's not one you know with dynamism and emotion or things like that. He's not Elder Holland getting up there and yanking all of our heartstrings and making us remember it forever or anything like that. But when you listen to his talks, he gives such terrific talks. And so much of it's informed by his life as a surgeon, as spending a lot of time in Africa. He has a really interesting perspective on things. And he spoke a lot today about being a civil person, about having, having mercy. And we've touched on some of this earlier, you know, it was more of this, this notion to be one. But he said, you know, a, a just person is civil in words and actions. Differences in outlook or belief do not preclude friendship, which is a great reminder because as we have descended into uh, internecine tribalism, um, it becomes very easy to just start feeling like, I don't want to be friends with this other person. Oh, you don't wear a mask. I am not talking to you. You are unworthy of my companionship. Like this, this is this huge risk we have. And we have to remember to still be friends with everyone, to love everyone the same. Because like he talked about being a Christ-like person, Christ-like people love mercy, right? And have, people who have mercy, he says, are not judgmental. They manifest compassion for others. And that's so that's just powerful for me. And like we talk about the things we're working on to be more like Christ. And in this current climate, you know, like we've talked about our prejudices as well. It's very easy to want to just to not have compassion for others. I mean, especially right now, the president of the United States is in the hospital with COVID. It's easy to have some schadenfreude about the whole thing. But like we have to be compassionate. We have to not be judgmental. We have to be open and loving towards everyone and what everyone's going through. And uh and whether that's in the political sphere, which we've talked a lot about, or just in, in life in general. I just, I love Elder Renlund. I can't wait. His talk's not up yet, you know, because it was, it was near the very end. But uh, 
I'm going to have to review that one again because he's just, Renlund's awesome. Look at all his talks, all the Renlunds. Dustin's nodding his head. He's like, oh, yeah. Jeff, I'm, I'm a big, a big Jeff I, want, I want to know your reaction to Elder Christofferson's talk. He, he talked about building sustainable mm-hmm. societies. And I thought the talk was good, but I thought he made a really odd introduction. I kind agree. Of, he, he kind of dismissed the sustainable development goal. <laughs> I wasn't going fr- to, uh, I wasn't going to go there, Devin, but since you opened the door, um, I, I liked Elder Christopherson's concept. Yes. About it's like, it's almost like the sustainable development part for anyone who didn't see it yet. He kicked off talking about the UN 2020 resolution, which is a shared agenda for sustainable development around the world. All right. Which, and it's of course to like eradicate poverty, no hunger, potable water everywhere. Uh, you know, equality among genders, all these, all these goals they have. And then he just sort of pivoted and said, well, that's sustainable development. What about sustainable societies? Which is a totally great discussion to have. And his whole talk was about what it takes to have a sustainable society. I'm kind of with you, Devin, where I feel like the intro was just like an excuse to get the word sustainable in there somewhere and then pivot to yeah, a it, different system. I didn't quite get the thread either, like what United. Yeah, I felt like he just. Yeah, I felt like he was dismissing that as not being important, but I hope that's not what he meant. Because, I don't think so. Because if you if we were to look in the world for one of the greatest, most Christ-like efforts underway globally that we could get behind and work on, it would be the UN Sustainable Development Goals that he was talking about. It is perhaps the most selfless, Christ-like uh, global effort on the planet. And we had to be 100% behind that. He talked about... Uh, sustainable and flourishing societies are devoted to the two great commandments to love God and to love one another. Well, I don't know how on earth we could manifest love for one another better than working on the sustainable development goals. It is entirely consistent with his message. And I I felt like the pivot was really weird and it could have been such a ringing endorsement for, for something that is so profoundly good. Well, well, also, are there, are there deep state? Hold on. Okay. Jared. <laughs> I was going to say the other thing too, that I mean, occurs to me and is like just the very idea of like, you know, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's like, well, all these virtues that he's talking about, of course, they're like, like vitally important to a sustainable society and such. But like, if you dismiss as unimportant or less important, all these other things, like nobody cares about, you know, loving your neighbor. If you don't have enough food to eat, people kill their neighbors if they don't have enough food to eat. Right. So I was like, you know, I mean, yeah, like Devin, like you said, I don't know if he intended to be like dismissive, but that was sort of the air that he gave off. And I was like, well, let's not, let's not say that's unimportant to a sustainable society. Let's just say there are other important things in addition to that for a sustainable society. Yeah. 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 So I think we all agree on that. One note I also took, I, I maybe you guys can totally correct me on this, but he talked about how Alma didn't spend his time trying to make more rules to correct the behavior of the people, which I think is a good idea, but to preach the word of God, which I think is the most part of what we have in the scriptures. The only thing I wrote down is I said, that's true, but do like, we don't have much of a record of Alma's work as a chief judge. We don't know what else he did, like other than what Korahor, right? And we know what happened to Korahor. So Alma's record <laughs> in the civil context is a little harsh. Well, actually, that was Korhor was post chief judge. He he had stepped down for the judgment seat at that point. He was high priest. The chief judge says, "I don't have any jurisdiction here. I'm sending you over to." You're right. You're right. So do we have do we have records of Alma's actual secular chief judge work? Only that he led that war against the Amalekites, Um, and then after that, 
once the Amalekite war happened, he, that's when he kind of got that's fed up with the whole thing and said, I need to devote all my time to being the high priest and not to being a chief judge anymore. So yeah, we won't have much record of Which that. Is good. Anyway, that's but a we can assume that he had like a, a very full platform that included all sorts of civic projects. and Oh, I'm sure. All kinds of things. <laughs> Canals, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Yes. Lots of things happening. Um, well, as we're winding down here, any other talks jump out or any subject areas? No one's brought up Elder Uchtdorf really much yet. Devin did from a previous talk. I don't, did, El, did Elder Uchtdorf just not give a talk that made you all feel pumped it up? It felt was, just more like a testimony for me. Which there is, no aviation jokes. Which is which great. Yeah. I, I thought it was great. And it was mostly just for me, like a message of faith and hope, but didn't necessarily have like, uh, like, out there kind of topics to like pull on and grab on. It just felt like a really solid and special testimony. Yeah. Um, the, the one thing he, okay. I inferred from his talk that he, and I don't think he meant to imply. And so I don't think he said, but it, it, it struck me weird that uh, God had sent the pandemic to help us improve missionary work. Um, and I, I, I'm sure I didn't, hear him right or think about it the way he wanted to, because I'm sure he didn't mean that, but, uh, but it is exciting to think about. It was exciting to think about the ways in which we have responded to the pandemic and we're getting it better. My, my only take on that is I didn't think he was saying like, we got the pandemic to make us more awesome. I think it was just looking at the positive in the pandemic and yeah. saying, like, are we all stinks, flexible and adaptable? We're adaptable. We stressed ourselves. We found new avenues for doing the work. Yeah. And in that sense, it's a blessing, but yeah, but you can well, be but, negative about it. Yeah, yeah, but no, I, I, yeah. Negative things have often been like accelerators of the kingdom. Right. But I yeah. think that's the point. Like our mission president here locally has reported that lessons have increased by four X over the pandemic. Right. And wow. it's like the work of the Lord is ex- like, I think that's what he's trying to say. Like he heads the missionary department. Right. Yeah. And like, Hey everybody, like yeah. the work of the Lord is accelerating in the pandemic. Like evils being used or bad things being used to great purposes. And like, kind of fits the whole narrative that, of the entire conference of gathering Israel. And like, we're actually like, Hey, like we're doing it. We're getting ready for the second coming. And even the bad things are working together for good. Yes. Well, okay, also, they often yeah. do, right. You often yeah. have a moment where people are like looking for a change because things aren't so great right now. Like that happened during the financial crisis as well. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And that, that's what you kind of said, you know, I like that he said that we, we shouldn't be holding on, and waiting for the return to the old normal, we will move forward and we will be better as a result. And I think that was an important message because people keep on talking about, I can't wait till things get back to normal. And I love it whenever I hear this a lot where people respond to that by saying, let's shoot for something better than getting back to normal. Let's shoot for something improving on the old normal because not everybody was doing great under the old normal. So I like hearing that in his message as well. Yeah. Great point. Okay. I cannot think of a single, Oh, sorry, Dustin, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, I thought, something of just of interest to me, not a single talk uh, I, I can think of talked about the first vision. I think reliably every conference, someone gets up and give a, gives a talk that's pretty much a recounting of the first vision and the restoration. Obviously, that was even more relevant six months ago with everything we planned, but that just kind of stuck out at me. It's just something that was not there this time. And it's almost almost always there, at least one, usually Elder Ballard, but almost. Yeah. But I think that was good because we, we again, as we said kind of early on, one of the themes was that people were very much focused on the moment, which was refreshing and like yeah. what, what I felt like I needed. And so 
um, the restoration, while vitally important to our faith and to you know the you know, everything that we have right now, why we even gather, uh, you know, in a general conference, um, you know, it wasn't like ne- necessarily the most relevant thing to talk about to talk about the issues at hand. So, yeah. yeah. Also, I learned today that if you turn on an empty microwave, it blows up. I didn't know that. My <laughs> wife knew that. No, as soon as he said that she that she had turned on the microwave instead of the timer, I thought, oh no, like this is not gonna end well. Like it's bad. Uh, we're referencing Elder Kerry R. Johnson, everyone. All I wrote in my notes is microwave. I had a kid bugging me or something, but that's all I've got. Microwave. Uh, I will say I, I really appreciated Elder Kieran's prayer, but also when yes. I heard that he was giving the prayer, I was a little sad because like, oh, that means he's not gonna give a talk. Like I really wanted to hear from him. <laughs> we're not At supposed to speculate, time. but like what's our over under on him taking the next open apostle spot? <laughs> It's Obviously, we know these things, right? I, uh, <laughs> That's your next prediction, next prediction block. Just a pot. We'll just start. Yeah. yeah I'm not joining that I, one. I but, feel like the most commentary about a prayer I've heard has been his prayer. Of just it was a beautiful feeling prayer. Like it was really perfect. It was a wonderful prayer. Yeah. Other Kieran's pretty cool. When I was living in Scotland, he was over our, I'm, I don't, I remember what his calling was at the time, but yeah, he like came to a state conference of ours or something. I got to meet him and he was just a super accessible, thoughtful, compassionate guy. And I loved him then. And it's been, I don't like to say watch his rise but, or anything. You know what I mean? But uh, Are you an elder Kieran hipster? You liked him before it was cool? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> totally, dude. Totally. Shut up, Desmond. <laughs> I love it. No, I, I also, too, like your point about the microwave story, like I really appreciated those that still attempted to like tell a joke or a funny story, like despite the circumstances. Like that's bold yeah. when you know that nobody, like you might have a couple of people chuckling, but like not the whole audience. Like that's bold. But especially with the elders hauling, I don't know if anybody else noticed this, right? But you have elder the hauling, the elder now, and elder hauling the younger. Holland Junior tried to joke. Yeah, they both. No, they both did right out of the gate, right? So like elder hauling the elder, like uh, basically made fun of other general authorities for being bald. Yeah. But then elder hauling the younger, like literally used scripture to joke about passing a kidney stone, which is yep. by far like yeah. the boldest joke I've ever heard in general conference. Yeah. And like I can't help but think that there's like a Holland like household joke. It's like one up. Yeah. It's like, hey, dad. Guess what? Well, no, they're playing that game. Like, <laughs> did you ever play that game when you were any of you who went on missions? Yes, I know. Exactly trying to work, work in like random words yeah. in your contacts. They're, yeah, they're, they're just doing it with general conference. Yeah, now. I feel like he's like, wow, that was strong at the gate. Sound like well done. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it was funny too because I, I, one of the things I really enjoy about conference is when like one of these like you know like older men like or you know or women or whoever cracks a joke and then you hear like the little laughter ripple throughout the conference center and I and I, I and even though I knew they weren't doing this live audience thing. I was like, I heard the joke and I was like, okay, I want to hear the laughter and it didn't come. And it, it made me kind of feel like they need to do like a CBS comedy thing and have a laugh track they should. Um, <laughs> just to help us understand. Oh, now we're laughing in general. Oh, this is where we laugh. <laughs> you and can they're, always they're, tell they're, with their little arc. They're, they're egging for it. They, they can tell. They want it. I think uh, President Nelson loves to do the jokes. You know, when he tells him and he sits there and he gets that beam on his face, yeah. waiting for everyone <laughs> to like, laugh. He's not, yeah. he's not been doing um, the only other joke I can think of was Elder Bednar told a little joke, and that was the only Bednar one on Twitter did. where some people were like, eh. I didn't think personally it was that bad. This was, he made a joke about. Um, oh, yeah. He was joking about that. I was like, too soon. No coronavirus talked, jokes. He, yeah. Stop he that. He was talking about preparedness, as we mentioned before, you know, and that he and his wife felt compelled to go back and look over their food storage and everything. And they found whatever it was, an old bag of, you know, multi-year-old food that was in a complete mess. And he joked that instead of opening it and like causing another pandemic, they they dealt with it accordingly. It was mostly fine, but I knew that was one of those ones. If you go to Twitter moments after, you're going to find people who are like, dude, 
we can't joke about a second COVID, man. It's too soon. Can't do it. It's like 9-11 it joke. Funny. Hmm. It was, I was fine with it. I don't know if anyone here. It was Bednar level funny, but it wasn't Holland level <laughs> funny. It was Bednar. <laughs> It got a smirk. It got a smirk. I was like, I see what you're trying to do there. Elder Bednar is, you know, he's a straight shooter. Uh, I have had the fortune of being in a couple of different stake level meetings with him. And any of the brethren are a little looser whenever they're in settings like that, because it's not general conference. They're in a stake meeting where they can be more casual. And he's, he's very entertaining. I think in general, I've always liked his talks, but in a stake setting, he's pretty, he's pretty, he's looser. A little bit loose. Is he not the most petite man you have ever seen? He's not the his most hair. petite man I've ever seen. His no, hair is perfect. That. Well, his hair is perfect. That's a different he's got, discussion. Yeah, he's, got, he's got Lego hair. It just goes he's on. Quite, yeah. He's quite petite. Is Anyways, he that petite? That's not important. I don't think Wikipedia tells me his height, so I don't. Uh, it's not going to. I don't know. And he's not at IMDb either. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, I think we're wrapping up. Any, 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 any other piece that has not been stated from anybody here? I just really loved uh, uh, President Nelson's Sunday morning talk, Let God Prevail. I thought that was super interesting how he started from like sort of a theological thing and then turned mm-hmm. it into very applicable, hands-on, like we can make action out of this the- theological idea. It was really powerful. This, and, he, and he kept on coming back to that idea that we can let God prevail and we can be on that team with him as he prevails. And I, I just, I, I, it was, I think, one of my favorite talks that he's given since he became our, the president of the church. And he is sprightly. Did you see him some of the times he's just walked up to the podium? I'm like, he's dude, you're 96, 70. right? He's 96 <laughs> yeah. years old. My I mean, goodness. there's a, this is not a knock on President Iring because President Iring is one of my favorite people in the world, but he's kind of a bit of a shuffle. He's yeah. shuffling up there now. Um, but President Nelson's just like springs right up, just walking right up. I'd love to see it. I'd love to yeah, see it. Uh, it's just, it really, I'm very curious to see if we will get to our first uh, centenarian church president. Possible Which would be the first time. I wouldn't right? put it past him. Yeah, yeah. pretty. Christina cool. Franco in the women's session. We haven't talked about hers, but just mm-hmm. a brief one that she talked about, like faith in the atonement to heal what is broken. I thought that was a really special talk. And at least for the rest of Saturday, I didn't feel like there were many that were focused on the atonement. I don't know what Sunday was like again, but um, that was a really nice um, one to shout out. I think. I love her. Too. She's a great speaker too. She's yeah, so she's great. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. And that analogy was like killer. Her story was really the bright. piano. Yeah. Oh, yes. And was like someone who plays the piano when her husband was just like, just fix it up and send it back. And I was like, don't do it. Take the new one. <laughs> I loved everything about it. Well, good stuff, folks. There's a couple of course people we haven't mentioned. Elder Suarez gave a good talk that I was enjoying. I was not able to take notes during it, so I don't remember what it was. I put a note down to, just to say, go back and re-listen, but I seem to remember he had some really powerful statements. I don't remember what they are, if anybody does and has anything to share about it. And then he, the, and he and uh, the other, uh, is Elder Godoy is also Brazilian, right? Two Brazilians back-to-back. And they were both powerful. They had, they they, they, both of those talks were wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. That was solid. Also, Elder Suarez is looking trim. We don't care much about the physical appearance of people, but we published this on Twitter because I realized I said, he's looking kind of like more fit than I remember. And so I looked him up when he first spoke when he was called to the 12 in April of 2018. And he has, uh, I don't know if he's got a personal trainer or something, but he's, and he's Elder on Ren- the keto diet. Elder Renland was also looking much thinner than the Right. And when, and when men are that age, 
you you kind of have to say, well, I hope it's for good reasons. And not yeah. Yeah. They both seemed pretty healthy. And yeah. I, I was more worried about Elder Renland. You were, yeah. I was yeah. worried. He just looked thinner. He didn't look emaciated. He, well, yeah, I guess that's... And Devin's uh, like, well... Yeah, 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 I'm like a, uh, yeah, never mind. But uh, it is worth noting on this topic that uh, Bishop Davies was released from the first, the presiding bishopric and called to be a general authority 70. That was precisely because he is not well. Oh. Uh, They said he's well enough to serve as a general authority 70. I'm not sure how well you have to be to do that, so I'm not exactly sure what that meant, but he was replaced in the presiding bishopric because he could not carry that load. I did not know that. That was curious. When they first released the counselors, but not Bishop uh, Kause, I thought I thought that was strange. Usually they just, you know, call an entirely new presiding bishopric. I didn't know that, Devin. Also of note, they how they released uh, L. Whitney Clayton, but it seems like the release already happened quietly before conference. I mean, they came back and did it, because I noticed the new... Dustin, you remember this when we watched the regional broadcast, the member of Elder Nielsen, I believe it was, who's the member of the presidency of the 70, he was called in August to the presidency of the 70. And so thus replacing Elder Clayton. So I think that was interesting that Elder Clayton was, I don't know, hope he's okay. And they, they sustained him today, not yesterday. Yeah. Well, it seems like part of that was they forgot. I think they. I was going to say right. to me, it sounded like I was like, "Oh, somebody dropped the ball. Somebody left it off the teleprompter." And, yeah, yeah, I think they just because yesterday, I think they only released him as what a general authority seventy, but they didn't release him as a member of the presidency of the That's seventy, right. which is yeah. a separate calling. Yeah, I think that was just it, a so. clerical error. I think it was just an oversight. Yeah, but I hope yeah. that that's just. But they called. Know. But they also didn't call Elder Nielsen until today, or or sustain him until today. Mm. We've got a comment by Robert. He said he's glad the first presidency forgot all the sustainings and releases. It gives regular bishops hope. So, <laughs> <laughs> so true. That's good stuff. All right. Well, this uh, is a- one talk. Oh, no, no, no. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, just one quick one that we didn't mention that was actually, I think, like really special was Elder Anderson's, where he talked about, like, you know, we speak of Christ and like made this, like, really, I think, important statement that's listen. The rest of the world is talking less about Christ. Like we need to elevate and talk more about the Lord in our conversation and all of our relationships. Like I felt that one hit me like really deep. Like I, like I need to do better. Right. In all of the settings and all of my life, like how, how do I, you know, and, and he's, he was really kind of making it clear. Like, I'm not just saying like every conversation has to end in an invitation and a baptism, but like we speak of Christ, we are the church of Jesus Christ. Like that needs to, to be the center of who you are and what you communicate. I just thought that was that was put in a really powerful way. I wanted to make sure we, we touched on it. That's all. Yeah. Thanks for that. I'm in the same boat. I kind of compartmentalize my religious side compared to the rest of me. And I don't really always mix everything together. So I like I like the quote he had. He said, you know, we need to care more. We care more about being his followers than about being liked by our own followers. And that takes some boldness too, because even on social media, right? Like, what are you posting about? Are you doing it for your own kicks or are you doing it to try to that was that was one of the better plays on words that general authorities have given us about social media. Yeah. Good job, Elder Anderson. Thanks for bringing that one up. That's now I I think we touched on all of the 12 except for Elder Stevenson pretty much. I think his point was that it will get better and it, in in the long haul it will be he said overshadowed by choice blessings and increased faith and testimony. There we go. Anyway, um last call everybody. Anything? Okay. 
Well, everyone, please join us at thisweekinmormons.com. If you have not done so, it's a fabulous website that'll make all your dreams come true. And if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, however you get podcasts, Apple, Google, uh, pod thing, pod this, whatever, please do so and please leave us a review in those places. And if you have not joined Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash This Week in Mormons, you can donate a buck a month and that's fine. And that's great. And I love you for it. And also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And we would love that. And of course, on Facebook. And uh, thanks for taking the time to listen to everybody. I would love to thank the panel here because I can't do this without you. Without any of you guys, the show would not exist because I'm not, I'm the weakest link. So thank you all very much for being a part of this. Devin, Devin Thorpe, we do not take an official position on your campaign, but it's wonderful to see you being civically minded. So good luck thank to you, you, sir. Thank very you. Very good. Very good. I hope you win. Tiffany, nice to have you here with us as always. Thank you. I'm sure we'll have you in a couple of weeks for a Twim Sisters show. Oh, I'm sure Ariane and I will do a show and have lots to say. Which actually reminds me, I think we need to look at the schedule for uh, the rest of October and <laughs> lock some okay. of that stuff down. Um, Dustin, wonderful to have you here, buddy. Thanks for having me. Great Good to meet you, Dust Dustin Homer. Josie Gleave, the pride of Singapore slash Australia. Thank you for Not quite, here. but I appreciate that. <laughs> it's true. And Jared, always wonderful to have you here, sir. Always wonderful to be here. Much appreciated, you guys, for you to give your time. Everyone, thanks for tuning in. Uh, until we talk to you again next week, hope you enjoyed conference. Let us know what you thought as well in the comments on this on Facebook or uh, shoot us an email, contact at thisweekinmormons.com or on social media. Uh, until then, for everyone else, I'm Jeff. Be well, be holy, and be happy. Right, the live stream is dead. Look at that, Kurt. That was so fast. Yay. Kurt Did came back. Oh, I've been here taking notes. <laughs> I like that he just didn't want to hop in. And I wish you would have hopped in at the very end and just like said, "Hey, it's me, Kurt." <laughs> uh, my mom's sewing room just doesn't give the adequate background, you know. <laughs>